How's everybody? Good. Michael says, cool. It's interesting that he would say that. You know, you know how I am, how I often say I'm going to preach about something and then I get up here and I don't preach about that. Surprise, surprise, that happens again. And I actually have a pretty good reason this time. And the reason is because I couldn't stop thinking about something. You know, so I was sick Wednesday night, as many of you know. Thursday I didn't leave my apartment for anything. So I'm, I'm cooped up in my apartment, which I got like cabin fever. Friday morning I walk out of my apartment and I'm like, man, it is hot. And they said it's going to be worse tomorrow, which was yesterday. And I said, how can it be worse? And so I got up at like 7.30 yesterday morning, and it was 88% humidity, and it felt like 93 at 7.30. I said, that ain't right. So I said, here's what I'm going to do every hour. I'm going to check my phone. And so I checked my phone every hour, and the hottest that I saw that it felt was 109 yesterday. Now, all of us felt that. It didn't matter if you were in Pennsylvania. It didn't matter if you were right here. All of us felt the heat. Greg and Stacy were out cooking at a funeral, unfortunately. But if you were outside for any period of time, there was nothing about it that said, man, you know what? I'd like to be out here longer. You know what we were looking for? We were looking for a little bit of cool, a little bit of shade. And all of those things. And so I'm sitting there and I'm working on my sermon. And I'm thinking about how hot it is. And I look out my window because next door they are redoing a building next to me that the college has bought. And I, I looked out there and I thought, man, I feel bad for those guys that are out there working. And I'm going to zoom in because there's something in here that's very important that maybe you don't see. And I'm going to zoom in to where you can see this tent that has been built. We call that a little canopy tent. You can go to Walmart, you can go to Dick's Sporting Goods, you can go anywhere and you can buy that thing for probably 40 bucks. And that little thing that they are working under when they have to go out and cut gives them the slightest bit of protection from the sun. And it reminded me of that passage that we studied a few weeks ago in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 4 where the branch, Jesus, the Messiah, where in that day there will be a booth for shade by day from the heat. You know, the Kong's version said a tabernacle. Because that's exactly what a tabernacle is. It is a temporary place of shelter. It's exactly what we see right there. It's a canopy. And we know that that is not an ideal situation in any way, is it? But it sure beats out there getting baked by the sun. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to think about three blessings that we have in Christ that are weather-related. Because the Bible uses that picture very vividly because we all understand what it's like to be out there roasting and wanting that protection, that cover. That's the first thing we're going to know. We're going to know that protection. I hope you're still there in Isaiah, the fourth chapter. I want you to notice how it says there in verse 6 there, that there will be a booth for shade by day from the heat, and for a refuge and a shelter, the storm and the rain. You go back.
back and you think about that picture that we just had up there. Is anything about that going to protect you from a storm, the rain? No, it's not. As a matter of fact, one time I was over at Bob and Deb's and they had a little one of these little canopies out there that I think Ed had probably been out cutting underneath. And a big wind, gust of wind came up and took it against Trudy's porch. Uh, her fence right next door. It doesn't withstand that. But God is saying, my protection will withstand that. And it's not the only time that the book talks about this. I want you to go to Isaiah, the 24th chapter. In Isaiah 24, actually it's 25, not 24, it's chapter 25. He starts talking about how God offers protection from the enemies that that we have. And I want you to notice down in verse 1 that he says, Man, O Lord, you are my God, and I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you've done wonderful things, plans from of old, faithful and sure. I'll go down to verse 4. You've been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress. And notice this. A shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. Did any of you have to walk any distance yesterday or today? I have to at my building because I park on the street. And there are trees alongside the park that I'm just counting how many steps until I get in the shade. And he says, that's what's going on here. Is that he is that where as soon as you get in the shade, he's like, now guess what? You're still hot. You're still sweaty. But man, it's so much better. And what he says is, you've been that to the poor. And I think the idea is not the poor necessarily, but those who are low, those who are in contrast to the mighty, those who don't have strength, God has been the protection from them. Maybe it's another army. Maybe it is people who are just oppressing them. God has been the one in which they can go and take cover underneath. He has been that shelter. And he goes on to say it. For like the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against the wall. And like heat in a dry place. But he says, you subdue, that's the Lord, you subdue the noise of foreigners as a heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. We know that feeling too when we're outside and a cloud comes over. It's refreshing. It's protecting you for just a short amount of time, but yet it's there. And Isaiah uses that picture over and over, and so do other Old Testament writers. Is that, man, this is the way God protects His people. I want you to go to Psalm 121. A psalm in which I know Philip quotes from when he says his prayers up here oftentimes. And many of us do as well because you would know verse verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hill. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I need help and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, where is my help coming from? So imagine you're an army and you see the enemy. And you're looking all around, where are my reinforcements? Where is my help? The Lord 
is my help, the psalmist says. And he says, verse 3, He will not let your foot be moved, and he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The guy that's coming to help you ain't asleep. He is fully aware of what is going on. And so verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that relaxing? And so verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That's just who God is. God is your protection. If you go to Him. If you take refuge in Him. Because outside of Him is there any protection? No, it's all false sense of security. It's all false safety. And the Old Testament writers want to make sure we get that across. Hey, you don't go to man for your protection. You come to me. And I won't let anyone touch you. We didn't point this out in Isaiah 25. But in Isaiah 25 and around verse 8, I believe it is, we have a famous thing that we know from the New Testament. That death is swallowed up. The New Testament talks about death being one of those great enemies. And Jesus destroyed the one who had the power of death. Notice that in Hebrews 2. We studied that not too long ago in our Wednesday night class. But just notice the force of what the Hebrew writer says about death. And who was going to succumb to it. And verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that would be Jesus, that would be from Isaiah 4, the branch, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy who? The one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Part of the reason why Jesus became flesh and blood was to defeat the enemy. Right? And so notice verse 15. And to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Guess what you and I are subject to? Before Jesus came and defeated the enemy? Death. Because guess what happens to every single one of us? We all die. There's a, there's a saying, all paths lead to the cemetery. That's just all there is to it. But thanks be to God that the branch came and we are protected from that, as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, is that that will be the last enemy. That will be the last one to be destroyed. And when that is fully conquered, then he hands the kingdom over to the Father. That's just the way it is. Okay, that's all well, that's all good. But what if they are putting a gun to my head? What if they're threatening my family? Does God protect me from that? Well, what's Matthew chapter 10 say? And in Matthew chapter 10, I know he is specifically speaking to the apostles. 
But, you know, we also know what happens with all the apostles, except for John, don't we? They all are put to death. And he tells them, as he sends them out for the very first time, as he describes them as sheep being sent out into a midst of wolves, for people that are to be innocent as doves or harmless as doves, but wise as servants, he tells them, verse 26, and you know this, have no fear of them, for nothing that is covered will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Tell everybody what I came to tell you. Shout it from the rooftops, he says. And verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Again, I know that that is said directly to the apostles. But is that a true statement? Guess what God can do to apostles and what God can do to you and me who are not apostles? He can cast the body and the soul into hell. And what he says is, don't be afraid of them. Why? I've got you. But yet, as human beings, do we feel that? You know what? The world doesn't have anyone to stand up for them. They don't have anyone to protect them. They don't have anyone to keep someone from harming them. But you... In Christ, do. Outside of Christ, we don't have that kind of protection. You can strap on two or three guns, whatever you want. It ain't going to do you any good. The true protection comes from God. That's the first blessing we have in Christ that is only real in Christ. The second thing that we have and I want to point this out, is that he makes us protected from anxiety. Now, there is a difference maybe in in someone having a medical condition of anxiety and not. But I want you to notice a few things about that. I want you to notice in the New Testament, a passage in, in Philippians, the fourth chapter. And the reason why I say this is because what makes us the most anxious in life? What kind of things really bother us or bother me? I think about it when I have no control over what in the world is going to happen. You're helpless, right? And you don't know if anyone is going to be there to protect you. You don't know if anyone is going to be there to help you get out. You don't know if there's anything you can do. And so you're worried about that and you're thinking about that. And so if you're like me, you think about worst case scenarios in your mind. This is what could happen. The problem is we're worrying about the wrong things. We're focused too much on those things. As he says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice and let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to all. And notice this phrase. The Lord is at hand. Remember what we saw back in Psalm 121? The Lord is your shade. In your right hand. He's there for your protection right there at your disposal. The Lord is at hand, I think is the idea. So do not be anxious about anything. And why stop right there? Because that doesn't seem humanly possible. 
But what does he say? Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You know, we have the benefit in Christ of being able to talk to God, to being able to appeal to God, to be able to express our fears, our concerns to God, and know that He's right there. He's at our right hand, ready and willing to protect us of that. So what do I have to be afraid of? What's the worst that could happen? They kill me. Okay? As Paul said in Philippians 1, if they kill me, I go home. I get to be with the Lord. That's far better. But I know there's more people work. Maybe, maybe there's my family i got to take care of. God knows all that. But what do I have to worry about? God has this. And when you come to that realization, right? Like, what do I got to really worry about here? Then he makes this statement in verse 7. And then, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, and I want you to notice this from protection, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you really, and we use the phrase, give it over to God, turn it over to God. When you really do that, guess what? You're at peace with whatever happens. No matter how good or how bad, you're okay with it. Because you know in whom you have believed. You know in whom you've entrusted. You know in whom you have taken shelter. And it is the one who will never let you down. It is the one who says, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you'll wear. Because isn't life more than those things? And by the way, open your eyes. Look at the birds of the air. Your Heavenly Father feeds them. And look at the flowers. The sun comes up, scorches them, they're dead. But guess what? They're beautiful. Are you not of more value than these? And he says, be anxious for nothing again. Does a person outside of Christ, can they have that kind of confidence? That kind of peace in the midst of storms? of life? Absolutely not. God says in Jesus you have protection from that heat. You have shelter in the time of the storm. Do not forget that. Take advantage of it. The second thing is that we have joy in Christ. I thought about that from a little bit, right? Isaiah 4 doesn't point that out, but I want you to think about it, right? It's better in the shade. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that, right? But guess what? It's still hot in the shade. It's a little more tolerable, and you can sit out there a little longer, but guess what? It's still 95 degrees. And it's still difficult. And that's the way it is. How can we rejoice in all things, as he said? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm telling you, I was rejoicing yesterday when I got to my car and I could turn on my air conditioning and there was a big shade tree right beside my car that I could stand up underneath while my car cooled down. I was pretty happy about that. But man, I was still sweating. It's still hot outside. And the truth is that's the way it is in Christ. 
Remember when Jesus came into the world in Luke, the second chapter? As we're told about how the shepherds find out about Jesus. And they're out in the fields, and they're alerted, and we sing this, or you hear this in the time around December, and we sing the song, Joy to the world, the Lord is born, right? But notice verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Jesus is supposed to bring joy to all men, whether Jew or Gentile, right? I want you to notice what it said as Jesus is presented in the temple just a few days later in Acts chapter 2. It's probably more than a few days, but it's some days later. When Simeon prophesies about him. And Simeon says to his mother in verse 34, He says to her, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that it will be or that is to be opposed. And by the way, Luke throws in, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I want you to think about that for a second. Maybe you can understand that as a parent. You love your child. And there's nothing that brings more joy to you than seeing your child. But there's also nothing that brings more grief to you than when your child makes you think. Or your child points out how wrong you really are. Think about that for Mary for a second. I brought you into the world, parents say. And I can take you out. Right, so I brought you into the world, and you're going to take me out. There's no other way. And how difficult that would be. And how hard that would be. And how Jesus said in chapter 12, don't think I came to bring peace, but a sword. I'm going to set father against son and daughter against mother-in-law. Guess what? You're going to have joy. But you're also going to have difficult situations. Because we are protected from the heat, but we're not immune to the heat. We don't get air conditioning. We get it a little better than the rest of the world. And maybe you should say a lot better. Because it's so much better being in the shade. And you think about what Peter says there in 1 Peter 3. He's quoting from Psalm 34 and verse 9. He says, Those of you who would love life and seek good days. You want to have a good life and you want good days? Let him turn from evil and let him seek peace and pursue it, amongst other things, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Life is good when you do what is right. But I hope you're there in 1 Peter 3. I didn't tell you to turn there, but... I want you to notice the very next words out of his mouth in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12 when he says to them, Now, verse 13, Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, 
You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for Him who asks you about the hope that is with you. Guess what? You're going to have a good life. But the odds are good. You are going to suffer for righteousness sake. But you at least get some reprieve. You get some benefit. Or in Matthew chapter 6, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The food, the clothing, the shelter, all that, right? But in Philippians 4, Paul, one of those people that we would say if we were voting, he put Jesus first, didn't he? He sought the kingdom first. But as we saw in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that now you revived your concern. The people were concerned about him because he was in need, but yet he said, it's not that I am in need, verse 11, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. That kind of goes against what we say when we quote that psalm. I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. Maybe the reason they're not begging is because they know where it's coming from. And that's kind of what he's saying right here. I'm not begging you. I'm okay with it. Because I've learned the secret. And as Michael quoted this morning, what is the secret? Verse 13. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's just all there is to it. As bad as it might be, it's still better with Him than without. Take great joy in that. Because your friends out there don't have that. And third, and finally, you out there, it's hot. And what do we say? Stay hydrated. There's refreshment that we have in Jesus. I thought about that, maybe it was Friday, and we were talking about this even a little bit today. I think about these construction workers or these people that are out working on road crews. And they're on asphalt all day, and they're not near trees, and they're putting down asphalt with all the heat. And just how brutal that is. And I think, man, how much water must they carry around in order to stay hydrated through that day? And I've come up with not enough. I, I, I don't know what the proper amount would be. Take your refrigerator with you? But why? But why is that so important? What is refreshment? Well, refreshment, if you look it up, I, I Googled it, right? What does it mean to refresh? It means to reinvigorate. What does it mean to reinvigorate? It's to give life again. You get energy. And that's exactly what water does for the soul. If you went back in the Old Testament, especially through the book of Genesis, you would go through and you would see stories like of Hagar, who was on the run, and she had been sent off by Abraham. And he gave her, and it says explicitly in Genesis chapter 21, a skin of water. And she goes off with Ishmael, and they're going through the wilderness, which means the desert, pretty much, or the place where nobody is at. 
and they run out of water. And she leaves him underneath a broom tree. And she goes a distance, and she says, I don't want to see him die. But she left him for dead. Because guess what? There is no reason to live anymore. There is no water in sight. I can't go any further, so we might as well die. And I can't watch my son die. And then the angel said to her, The Lord has heard your boy's cry. And I often wonder about that. I wonder how she felt when he said, The Lord heard your son, your boy's cry. Like, not even yours. I'm not even doing this for you. I'm doing it for this child that I said was going to grow up and he was going to be a great nation. I'm doing it for him. And I heard his cry. And it said, The Lord opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Imagine you're out in the desert and you think there is nothing left. And all of a sudden, there's water. How fast are you running to that water and hope? You were sprinting there. We're giving every ounce of energy we have to go there because we know what that's going to do for us. And Jesus knew that. He's sitting by the well in John chapter 4 because he was wearied from his journey. And guess what happens when people come to the well? They stop and they talk. Just like we do at work, right? Got, got the old water cooler talk. This is the way it was. Moses found his wife at the water cooler. Jacob found, or Isaac found his through, through the servant at the water cooler. You find people there because everybody needs it. And Jesus in John chapter 4 offers that endless supply of water. He says, woman, well, I got water. And if you knew what kind of water I had, you would be saying, hey, let me have your water. Because the one who drinks of my water, he'll never thirst again. Guess what happened on Friday or Saturday when you downed a bottle of water or you downed a Gatorade? An hour later, you needed more water. That's not the case with the refreshment that Jesus gives. The life that Jesus gives, there's not an endless supply. It's ongoing, and guess what? You don't get tired of it. Sometimes I get tired of drinking water. And so I'll change it up and I'll drink some seltzer. You don't get tired of the great waters. And so Isaiah chapter 12, the passage we'll look at on Wednesday night, Draw from the springs of salvation. Give thanks to His great and holy name. Think about that. You just go to the well. You go to the well. And we use a phrase, He went to the well one too many times. It doesn't work that way with God. You keep going to that well. And here's the final thing I want to point out this evening. Not only does the refreshment come from Jesus and from God, but I want you to notice something that is said. Oh, go to Philemon chapter 1. That's where I'll point it out. Jesus said something very interesting to his apostles when he sent those twelve out. He told them that whoever gives you a cup of cold water in my name, will surely not lose his reward. He'll have a prophet's reward. 
want you to think about how small that is. Just a cup of cold water. Why did they do that? Because they were disciples of Jesus. True refreshment also comes from the people of Jesus. And notice how this is said in Philemon chapter 1 and verse 7. When Paul is writing to Philemon saying, hey man, you owe me. He says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. When was the last time your brother or your sister in Christ gave you life, so to speak? They encouraged you in such a way that you were willing to go on through the difficult journey in the heat, and maybe you're only able to go a little bit further, but just that little cup of water got you to the next person or got you through what you need. Guess what the people out there don't have? They don't have anybody. They have no one to refresh them. But in God and in Christ, we have that. So the question would be, am I refreshing other people? What was the last little thing that I did for someone to help them get through their journey in the wilderness? Because Jesus is saying what my people do is they help. And that's the only benefits we have in Christ, that God will protect us. We can have joy even when it's still hot out there. And we have unlimited refreshment in various different sources, but only found in Jesus and in His people. Let's be thankful for what we have at our disposal because of Jesus the Christ. If you're subject in any way this evening, won't you come now as we stand and as we sing?